0: But because of, like, Jesus, not because I'm weepy about leaving. I'm, I'm sad about leaving, for sure, in a lot of ways. But the excitement far outweighs it, if I'm being honest. So. <laughs> Which is a really good thing. <laughs> it's a really good thing. Actually, so this is just a fun thing. I actually, Sloan, if you want to pull that picture up, I sent you. So May 11th, 2017, was when Pastor Glenn emailed me for the first time. And listen to what he said. He said, hi, Rachel, this is Glenn Hubbard from Austin, Texas. I got your contact info from Michael Tharp. He was one of my teachers in the university I was at. He told me you might be interested in our worship position in Austin. When I saw your name, I immediately knew who you were, as I've been daily connecting to the prayer room in KC for almost 10 years now. And I read that email, and uh, when I read that sentence, I immediately, (laughs) like— I was so overcome. In that moment, I, I remember thinking, like, he knows who I am, and he wants me to, to be there. And I just felt this, like, family. And I was just like, what is that? And I was really mad because the subject line said Austin. And I didn't want to move to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but I, knew, I just knew there was something happening. And uh, yeah, that was it. What, 2.40, 2.46 p.m.? I I saw it pretty shortly after he sent it and I remember just reading it and weeping a lot (laughs) because I knew, I knew that, that I was going to end up here. And my tears were like half excitement and like God is on this and half like, I really don't want to move to Texas, but I'm so glad that I did. So anyway, I just thought that was really fun. Last week was our four year anniversary. So it was really like it was really this time four years ago that Kyle had that dream. It could have been this this week four years ago. Uh, So this is just a really sweet full circle moment. But I want to open up in prayer. Holy Spirit, come even more than you're here right now. Thank you that you're here. We say, come. We make room for you this morning, Holy Spirit, to do what you want. I thank you for the story that you've written in my life and that you're writing, and I thank you for the story that you're writing in this church family and in your bride across the earth, Lord. A beautiful tapestry. Lord, if today is the turning of a page in that story, we say yes. If it's highlighting a certain paragraph or a certain phrase, we say yes. Holy Spirit, do what you want. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to try to get us out at normal time, but I'm not going to make any promises. So if noon comes and y'all need to leave, please know that you're free to just sneak out. It's totally okay. I will not be offended. Um, what the Lord was doing coming off of worship needed to happen, so I'm glad we didn't rush through that. Um, yeah. There might be moments where I just kind of pause and breathe for a second today. Just just go with it, Okay. I was driving over here, and I looked at myself in my rearview mirror, and I was like, oh, I forgot to put mascara on today. And I just felt the Holy Spirit laugh. And I was like, oh. (laughs) That was on purpose, wasn't it, Lord? (laughs) (laughs) Nate, I'm glad you forgot. (laughs) So the Lord has been uh, stirring a lot in my heart the last few months. It was actually really significant to me when when Pastor Glenn asked me if I would preach this message before leaving because back in February I was in Canada and I was in quarantine in a basement alone for two weeks. And uh, it was honestly such a fantastic time that I really needed. <laughs> Towards the end I was a little like ready to go for sure. But that first like week, week and a half was a really beautiful reset that I just needed with Jesus. And um, and he reminded me of that dream that Kyle had. And I was like, Lord, I've never really taught on holiness at River in the Hills. If that's something I'm supposed to do before I leave, would you just open up that door? And like I think it was a week or two after I got back from Canada, Glenn came up to me. He's like, hey, you know, I was thinking about that dream Kyle had. Would you would you preach on holiness before you leave? And I was like, yes. <laughs> Um, and so I'm doing this because the Lord has me doing it, not because I feel, um, ready to or able to even, um, well, that's how the Lord works, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, I was texting Paul, my fiance last night. He's like, he's like, Hey, how do you feel about your message? And I said, I said, I feel pretty good. I said, there's a, there's a part of me that just feels like, you know, this is not me being sad for myself, but I feel like almost unqualified to share it. Because I felt so dull the past year. But when I look over my life, yeah. I can't deny the story that the Lord has written. Yes. And so that's why I'm here right now. And that's why I'm sharing what I have to share. So a few months back, the Lord was reminding me of this, this verse in Jeremiah 6. I, the, actually, Sloan, go back to the other slide title of the message is Holiness, Returning to the Ancient Paths of Fascination and Pleasure in God. Holiness has a lot of ideas surrounding it. And I think most of the time we think of holiness, we think of it in the context of a structure of rules that we have to follow to be good like God, which, spoiler alert, you're never going to be perfect, and he was perfect, but we do in the power of the Holy Spirit, have the power now that we've been redeemed to resist sin and to walk in holiness. But I want us to look at holiness perhaps in a different way than we've ever looked at it before this morning, where we look at it as an invitation into greater fascination and pleasure in God. In Jeremiah 6, the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel and and Judah and really rebuking them. A few verses before this, he calls them out on how in their sin and in their abomination. They're not even swayed. They're not even, he said, you haven't even blushed. There is zero embarrassment. There's zero, you've become desensitized to your rebellion and your sin. Thus says the Lord in verse 16, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And the Lord continues on, basically telling them of the judgment that's to come because of the rebellion that's in their hearts. And over the last few months, i found myself just in random times picturing myself as a 13, 14, 15-year-old in my bedroom in New Jersey, door closed, electric guitar over my shoulder, practicing worship songs, having my Bible open and singing the scriptures. And I begin to feel this stirring and this like, I got to get back to that. <laughs> and uh, one of those times in particular was just a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago. I had texted some friends and was just like, hey, I've been really struggling with impure thoughts. And I need help. Would you cover me in prayer? And one night I was up and I just couldn't fall asleep. I was just being tormented. And and I pictured myself in my room as a teenager. And I was like, oh. So I got up at like 1:30 a.m. out of bed and sat down at my keyboard and I turned the volume way down so I wouldn't wake Ben and Haley up who were sleeping upstairs and uh I miss you Ben and Haley we love you um and I just opened up my bible and it was like the roulette thing I kind of just set it down and I wasn't paying attention to where it was open to and I was I reached up to like flip the page and I was like oh that's a really good passage so I just started singing the word and next thing I knew it was like almost 4 a.m. Wow. Wow. and I had just been sitting there just loving Jesus. And this burden and this weight lifted, and I felt so connected, and I fell right asleep, and it was fantastic. And so the Lord has been talking to me about my history in him, and I thought of this verse, return, ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. That was that reality for me that night. And there's been multiple times since then where I've had this almost like longing of like, I was like, I just need to sit for hours alone in my room with the Lord and just worship and just be with him. And maybe that looks different for me than it would look like for some of you, but that's my ancient path. And, and like I said, this past year I've been in this wrestle of just feeling a dullness. And I've been asking the Lord, like, what is going on? Why? Why is this like this? And actually this week preparing for this message was very insightful. Um, praise God but it's been really hard for me and feeling that stirring to return to the ancient paths to actually get up and do it. Um, I found myself in this tension this week as I was thinking through this verse, return to the ancient paths, because I was like, you know, everybody has been saying, like, behold, I'm doing a new thing. There's a passage in Isaiah 43 where the Lord says this, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And and then Ironically enough, the verse right before that, in verse 18, it says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. So I was like, okay. All the prophetic voices, all the people I trust are saying, no, don't do anything. I've even said it in the last few months. And yet you're saying return to the ancient paths. Like, how, do, how does this work, God? And immediately I remembered this scene from the Chronicles of Anarnia. And I was like, oh, I have, I have to make sure that I'm remembering this right. Because I probably haven't seen this movie in like a decade so I just turned it on and I started watching. And Sloan, would you go ahead and play this clip? Actually, wait, pause, sorry. I want to give context first for those of you who haven't seen the movie. So Chronicles of Narnia, this is the second one, Prince Caspian. Uh, the, in the first movie, four siblings from Earth get transported to a magical land of Narnia. Turns out they're actually kings and queens there. There's this whole story, there's redemption where witchcraft and... Evil had been ruling. They came in the power of Jesus, who's represented by Aslan, a lion, the lion of Judah. Um, They defeat the white witch. They defeat the witchcraft. The winter ends. Spring comes. Victory happens. And then they leave, and they go back to earth. While they're gone, only one year has passed for them on earth, but hundreds of years have passed in Narnia. And what has happened is that evil has come back. Destruction has come back. And so they're summoned back by Prince Caspian. And so they end up back in Narnia hundreds of years later. They don't even recognize where they are at first because they're like, everything looks so different. They're, they're recognizing ruins and going, wait a second, like this was our castle. This was where we were enthroned. And so they end up, trying to find this pathway and Peter the oldest sibling is navigating them through the woods because he knows where they need to get and he's like here we'll go this way and they're with this little Narnian guy who's like I don't know what you're talking about there's no crossing there at, at this river and he's like no there is I know there is and so he leads them there they come to a crossing and this is what happens. So where exactly do you think you saw Aslan? I wish you'd all stop trying to sound like grown-ups. I didn't think I saw him, I did see him. I am a grown-up. It was right over... (laughs) Lucy! Path. I forgot to mention this, but the first time they came to that place, Lucy, the little girl, saw Aslan across the ravine. And she was like, Look, Aslan! And she turns to her siblings, like, Look, don't you see him? And they're like, No, we don't see him. And she turns around and he's gone. She's like, I saw him right there. And she knew that he was calling for them to follow. But they looked down and saw this ravine and they're like, Sorry. We're not going to do that. We're going to find another way. So they actually went. They tried to find another way, and the only other crossing nearby was already taken by the enemy. So they walk back, and that's when Peter goes, where did you say you saw him? And she walks over towards the direction that she saw him, and what happens is an ancient path is rediscovered. It's a safe path, the good way, we'll call it, like Jeremiah said, that led them to where they needed to go to once again obtain victory over the enemy. And so the Lord showed me this clip uh, in my mind, and I was like, whoa, because it's such a perfect example of those two realities. They're in Narnia hundreds of years later, and everything looks different. So it looks like a new path where it once was a, a river crossing, now there's a ravine because of years and years and years of erosion, and everything just looks different. But when Lucy saw Aslan, she wasn't thinking, oh, this ravine looks scary. Oh, this looks different. Oh, I don't see the path. She said, Aslan is leading the way and I'm going to follow. And what happened was in looking and seeing, like Jeremiah says, like the Lord said through Jeremiah in that passage, an ancient path was found and it led them into the new thing that God was doing. And I feel like for many of us in the church today, we actually find ourselves at a similar precipice. This is where I've been. And I believe that the Lord has me here sharing today because many of you are in a similar place. So what I want to do is I want to kind of share a little bit of my story more than what I already shared. A a handful of, when when I look back over my life, there's a couple moments that really marked me. Um... And set me on the course to where I am today. And my prayer is that in me sharing my story, that maybe your memory will be jogged. There might not be moments as intense or as cool as what I had. Maybe there are moments that are more intense and more cool (laughs) than what I had. But but I want you guys to begin this dialogue. uh, And this is not just for believers who've been walking with the Lord for years. Like I've been walking with the Lord for 20 plus years. And about... 17 of those, 16 of those have been like really, really pursuing him. And so, but but not all of you have that testimony, right? Some of you have only been walking with the Lord for a few years. Um, But there still may be an ancient path for you to uncover. And so as I'm sharing these stories, just in the back of your mind, just be in dialogue and be listening to Holy Spirit. Like, hey, is there anything that you want to remind me of in my story with you? That might be an ancient path to go back to. So back in the year 2000, actually it was, yeah, it was early in the year 2000. My mom had a dream. So would you put those two pictures up? And in the dream, my mom was newly saved. She'd only been walking with the Lord for about a year and a half. Didn't even know that the Lord spoke to people in dreams. And she has this dream. And in the dream, she sees this like line of yellow school buses that she knew were filled with young people driving into this big open field. It was like she was watching drone footage from above. She sees this Line of school buses, they're going ahead, and then they turn hard left, and the, the picture pans, and she sees a sea of young people, like that bottom right picture with their hands raised. And she doesn't see faces on any of them. She just sees hands raised, and she knew they were all worshiping Jesus. And then the camera zooms in down on this one person who has his head down like this. And all of a sudden, he looks up, very much like in that picture you see up top. That man is Lou Angle. She sees this man who she doesn't recognize, and he looks up, and he goes, the young and the restless are next, and she wakes up. And she's like, okay, God, I feel like that was you, but do you speak in dreams? Also, the young and the restless, like, that's a soap opera. (laughs) The beauty of being a new believer (laughs) in the late 90s, hallelujah. Um, So she was just really confused, but knew it was significant, so she wrote it down and went back to sleep. And I don't know if it's the next day or later that week, she took it to a woman who was mentoring her at the time. And she's like, "She's like Michelle, that sounds like this guy. There's this guy named Lou Engel. And he's calling for a million young people later this year to gather in Washington, D.C. to fast and pray. And I believe that the Lord was calling you in that dream to go to the call in Washington, D.C. So she's like, get your husband's permission and if he says yes, I'm gonna buy us train tickets and a hotel and we're gonna I'm taking you to DC and we're gonna obey the call of the Lord. So long story short, my mom ends up in DC. I was five years old, six years old, September second, two thousand. And uh this guy named Lou Engel, who's really spearheading this, the whole story of the call is such a prophetic journey. And if you don't know it, uh highly encourage you, come talk to me afterwards and I'll I'll get you connected with a way that you can Join the storyline. But Lou Engel was marked with fasting and prayer and the need for a nation, the need for America to return to God with fasting and weeping and mourning in the spirit of Joel 2 to see America turn back to God. And so he would gather hundreds of thousands of young people to come and fast and pray with no agenda other than crying out in repentance for revival. And this man is marked with holiness, He is marked with wholehearted consecration to the Lord. And so my mom hears Lou speak that day on the Nazarite message. Nazarites were ones in scripture who were invited into intense measures of consecration and separation before the Lord that looked strange outwardly. But they produced fruit. The Nazarite vow was comprised of three main things. The first, Nazarites were not allowed to drink wine nor eat of the fruit of the vine. The second, they would not cut their hair. And this was a sign of their consecration and also a symbol of their strength being in God. Recognize that? Does that sound familiar? Samson. Exactly. Number three, they could not touch a dead body and they were to separate themselves completely from any works that led to death. These are kind of weird. Especially like from a modern day lens. Okay, so I can't eat grapes or raisins or drink wine or I can't cut my hair. Like, what if my grandfather dies? I can't go to his funeral? What did Jesus say to that? Leave the, be- the dead to bury their bed. The, the dead. You-, you come and follow me. And so there are times and seasons when we are to walk away from the familiar, where we're to walk away from the comfortable, we're to walk away from the things that make sense and go after Jesus. And so Lou is marked with. All throughout scripture, I don't have time to go through the stories, but all throughout scripture, there are story after story after story about Nazarites, whether set, set apart from birth. So Samson, was one who was set apart from birth. John the Baptist was another set apart from birth. Samuel, set apart from birth, wholehearted consecration. And then there are others who you see in seasons, they have a more intense consecration and devotion to the Lord. So Lou is marked with this message, and he preaches it at the call in 2000 in Washington, D.C. My mom gets totally wrecked, and she comes back, and she's like, My older brother and I, she basically just was like, this is the way. That was not meant to be a Mandalorian reference, but it's true. This is the way. And she, my dad was not a believer at the time, but um, she raised us in that way wholeheartedly. And so all I've known from a young age is like borderline religious living in consecration to the Lord. And in our immaturity and in the youth of that, there was a lot of religion attached to it because it's really easy to, to cross a line of in my zeal and in my desire to go holy after the Lord that I'll say, that's really bad and nobody can do that and that's sin and da, 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 da And we, we just draw these lines that aren't actually really drawn in scripture that hard. And then it, it actually causes us to be super pharisaical and really mean and we can actually curse our other brothers and sisters without even realizing it. Because we don't understand why they're not living the way that we are or we feel is the right way to live. And the reason for that is simply because there's different measures of living for the Lord. You can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. And, you know, live a sinless life as much as you can. Repent when you mess up. And just live that way. And you will be with Jesus in eternity according to Scripture. And that's okay. Okay. But there are measures of consecration that we can give ourselves to in this life that will allow us to experience a fuller measure of God that some will only get to experience in the New Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I read what this book has to say about who my dad is, I'm like, why would I want to spend any day without as close proximity to him as I can? Lou Engel had a son, has a son uh, he was 12 years old at the beginning of 2000, around the time that my mom had that dream of the call. Jesse, Lou's son, had a dream. And in this dream, he saw two gangs fighting against each other. And he knew one was God's gang and one was the devil's gang. And they're fighting and fighting and fighting. And Jesse runs up to the leader of God's gang. And he goes, how old do you have to be to join God's gang? 12 years old. And the leader of God's gang looks at him and he goes, well, the rules have changed. You used to have to be 21, but the numbers have just switched around, and now you can join at age 12, and he wakes up, and he knows in that moment the Lord is inviting him into a season of consecration, and so what he does is he goes, Dad, I had this dream, and I want to take the next eight months leading up to the call, and I want to join you in fasting and in praying and in wholehearted consecration. He didn't join the baseball team that year. He fasted and prayed. I believe it was a Daniel fast. He didn't, he didn't eat meats or sweets. It was a, a version of a Daniel fast for those eight months. And for 40 days leading up to the call, he was 13 at this time, he only drank juice. 13 years old. And so I remember, I'm going to press pause and skip ahead. So remember, I'm, I'm about age five, six at this time. And all this is happening behind the scenes, unbeknownst to me. My mom's getting marked at this thing, and I don't know what's going on. I just know that we're living radically for Jesus. And that's the only way I've known. So fast forward to me being around age 12. It was around age 11 or so that I really began to get stirred and convicted for my relationship with Jesus needs to be my own. And I need to lay hold of this thing. I don't want to just show up and, you know, enjoy Sunday school teachings and stuff. Like, I want to know Jesus. And at age 12, uh, right before my 13th birthday, I was at a, a conference in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, called Firestorm and uh, there was a night in worship where the Lord just marked me. I'm not going to get into details, but the Lord marked me there as a prophetic singer and worshiper. I didn't know what it was. I wouldn't have even called it that at that time, but I knew that a huge facet of my calling was to live before the Lord and to sing in agreement with his heart and to release what he had to say through song, and that encounter led me in a time of hungering and thirsting and running after the Lord. It led to radical changes in my life. I began to realize that the friends that I was hanging out with were mostly going to church because their parents wanted them to. They didn't really want Jesus. They weren't really hungry for him. And every time that I would go over to their house and hang out with them, they were watching music videos that were just gross. They were watching movies that were not God-honoring. They were cracking jokes that were very sensual. And I found myself like, laughing at things that I didn't want to be laughing at and being entertained by things that I didn't want to be entertained by. And I was in this wrestle because I was like, but these are my friends and I'm supposed to have community, but I want you more, God. And I know that every time that I go over here, I get less of you and I engage in this wrestle that's really intense and it takes me so much longer to get back to you and I don't want that. And so what I did was I just started cutting myself off from these friends. Not in a weird way, like just naturally we drifted apart because I wanted something that they didn't want and it was okay. Like, I'm not saying this to judge them. I'm just saying I was marked. And, and I was feeling the pull and the grace of the Holy Spirit to say yes to the call. And so that led into, for the next few years, having not much interaction with friends. Most of my interaction with friends was at church or at youth group where I was leading worship. My mom and I took leadership of our youth group. And we were like, I mean, I was committed to calling my friends into this thing. Because i was like, you don't know what you're missing out on. <laughs> and... Um, And nobody, there were moments where one or two might like grasp on for a little while, but but there was no lasting yes. And so what that led into is at age 14, 15, 16, I didn't really have any friends. And I would spend long hours of the day alone in my room with the Lord. Worshiping, writing songs, playing guitar. That sounds super glorious. By the way, I was a normal teenager. Okay. I was rebellious, I was rude, I had attitude, you know, like I was not this perfect holy child, just so you know. But there was an internal longing for wholeheartedness and consecration unto the Lord. There was a desire for Jesus that led me to keep coming back. I stopped listening to secular music. I was super cautious with movies I watched, how I was entertained. I regularly fasted. My mom and I uh, volunteered at local food banks and food pantries and soup kitchens, and we were ministering to the poor. I was homeschooled, so I had a lot of freedom in my schedule for these things, by the way. Um, We joined a ministry called Bound for Life, where we would put red tape over our, our mouths and stand in front of abortion clinics and courthouses, and we would silently pray on behalf of the unborn who don't have a voice. We would join in their silence and pray for the ending of abortion. Multiple times a week, we did that. One time... People like were really mad that we were there and started, it was just demonic. They started threatening us and threatening me pretty harshly. My mom actually called the police. And so like, this is real. When you say yes to Jesus, it's real. <laughs> we had some worship nights in our, our area where it was mostly like 40, 50, 60 year olds. The youth didn't really want a part of it. And, and I would just show up with a guitar or a jembe drum and, or just myself And just jump in with the old ladies praying. Although also, if you're 40 or 50, you're not old. I just, when I was 16, when I was like 15, you were old, but you're not. It's okay. I bless you with many more decades. But one of the biggest longings of my heart next to just longing for more of Jesus was I knew that there was so much more that I could have. And I knew that a huge facet of that that was lacking was community. And I longed to be a part of a community of people, young people my age, who loved Jesus just as much, if not more than me. Really, I wanted them to love Jesus more than me and know Jesus more than me so that I would be uncomfortable with them and want him even more because I felt complacent. In 2007, I went to the call Nashville with my mom. We've got a picture of it. The call Nashville. These are not my pictures, but the picture to the top left there, this was at the Titans football stadium. The picture to the left there is actually very similar to the view that I had. I was sitting in that section um, with my mom and and my aunt and a couple cousins, and there was over 70,000 people in that stadium that year. And an overarching theme of that, that gathering was repentance over sexual sin and addiction to pornography amongst pastors and leaders in the church. Unbeknownst to my mom, at age 13, I was addicted to pornography. And I remember falling on the ground, weeping, like sickly weeping. My aunt and my mom, I can hear them like I was conscious of what was happening. And there was this groan inside of me of like repentance because I hated that side of me. I hated that I was living a double life. I hated that nobody knew. And, but I was terrified of disappointing my mom and telling her. And, um, and I was bound in it because I hadn't confessed it yet. I'd confessed it to the Lord, but I hadn't found true healing and freedom. Scripture says that when we confess to one, our sins one to another, that we find healing. And so there's something key that happens when we speak not only to the Lord in repentance, but to a friend. And, uh, and I remember my aunt going to my mom like, is she okay? What's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. I guess she's just getting marked. Like, and she starts like praying over me, blessing me with whatever message of purity that the Lord is doing to me. She doesn't know that I'm just in like travail and repentance, like groaning over my sin and crying out that the Lord would sovereignly expose what was going on so that I didn't have to confess, but that it would come out, which he did about a month later because he's kind. The battle didn't end there through my teenage years. That was still a wrestle for me. So even as I talk about this consecration, this holiness, no, the attack is real. The attack is great. I love how Proverbs describes the righteous man. as not a man who never falls. It's a man that every time he falls, he gets back up again. So we don't, we don't confess I failed at holiness and move on. We go, oh, whoops, I missed it. But now there's an invitation to sign up again. A few years later, in 2010, we were in Sacramento. The call Sacramento. The picture on the left is a picture that I got off the internet. The picture on the right is actually my own picture that I took on my old Samsung flip phone. Hallelujah. <laughs> this is in front of the California Capitol building. And uh, that was a powerful day, man. 12 hours of fasting and praying, and it got really marked with the injustice of human trafficking that day. I remember there was a time of intense rejoicing and celebration, and while the whole crowd, 80,000 people, were at large rejoicing and celebrating and praising the Lord, I was on the ground, felt like I was going to throw up weeping, because I felt the Lord's heart for the injustice of human traffic, and I felt it even to a greater measure, because I know that the The culture of pornography in America is actually, and in the world, is actually a huge facet that feeds into human trafficking. And I felt the guilt, a holy guilt, a righteous anger of, I have even helped to to give life to this movement in my own sin. And I just remember laying on the ground weeping, feeling like I was going to throw up, but feeling so near to the Lord's heart. And in these moments are moments where the Lord was marking me. And so I stand here today and I've been looking back over the season of my life where I I fasted regularly. Before both of these events, I engaged in in 40-day fasts of of some kind. I remember hearing about Jesse's dream at age 12 and going, the numbers have shifted. There's an invitation. I'm old enough now to join God's gang, and I want to join. And that's why I kept coming back in these moments. That's why every time the temptation increased, every time that I stumbled and fell, I kept coming back, because I knew that there was something greater to lay hold of. I heard the call of the Nazarite, which which I would define as, a call to holiness. It's not necessarily, it's a heart posture. There were specific things in the natural that back in the day in the Old Testament times they were called to, but today it's a heart posture for us. It's a choice to abstain for things that aren't necessarily sinful. It's not wrong to eat grapes. It's not sinful to cut your hair and it's okay to go grieve a loss in your family and be near a dead body. It's really okay. There's no sin in that. But there's something in the confession of, I'm willing to sacrifice this legitimate, non-sinful thing that I can find pleasure, safety, comfort, identity in for the sake of giving myself fully to the more that I might have access to in God. The Nazarite call is a call to radical holiness. It's a call to be wholly set apart to the Lord. To be convicted of the truth that God's greatest desire His greatest longing and his greatest pleasure is unrestrained access to every part of us. And our greatest longing is actually to be fully known and loved by him. It's to live in the light of his countenance. The light peering into the very depths of our being until we're filled with light and truth in our inmost being. It's to understand that apart from this wholehearted separation to him and for him, that we are missing out on the greatest pleasure we could ever know. Full unrestrained access to all of him. The key to accessing the fullness of pleasure in God is to give him full access to the depths of our being. Holiness. In Psalm 139, David describes how the Lord knows every facet of who he is. There's nowhere that he can go to run away and escape God's presence. And he ends this poem by saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says, I know you see and you know all things. This is a man who messed up a lot. (laughs) And his invitation was, I want to be pure and holy before you in your sight. So search me and know me and expose any grievous area in me. I want to be fully known by God. In Psalm 51, this was shortly after committing adultery with Bathsheba. He says, Lord, you desire truth in my innermost being. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. David understood this wrestle. Sin is crouching at the door. Holiness is saying, I know what you desire. I know you desire it for me because it's for my good and it's what I desire. But I know that I can't do it on my own. I need you to come expose the darkness and invite me into light. But why is the battle so intense? Like I mentioned earlier, the past year I felt this dullness. I felt this lack of fire, this lack of passion in my love for Jesus. I've not been living... And it's been a more sense of the challenge and, you know, just different stressors and things like that. But it wasn't enough for me to excuse the fact that my fire of love for Jesus and my pursuit of holiness, my pursuit of wholehearted love for him, my pursuit of whole, wholly being separated for him and set apart for him was, was lacking. It was different. And so I've been in this wrestle with the Lord. Why? Why is the battle so intense? And this, is, this is not just my own story. This is for all of us. Why do we find ourselves numbed? and dulled to the fire of unbridled passion for Jesus. There is a war for our attention and for our affection. There is a war for our fascination. Remember, holiness is the invitation to the, in, the, the ancient paths of fascination and pleasure in God. There is a war for our fascination. There is a real enemy who knows that the only way that he can keep us from walking in the fullness of joy, which David says is found in the presence of God, to walk in the fullness of life and to walk in the fullness of power in Jesus is to keep us believing that there is superior pleasure to be found in the temporal things. That's his only way that he can keep us from wholehearted living, is to deceive us into believing that there's greater joy right now that I can experience outside of God. And what this does is it causes our longing for fascination, because we were created with longing for fascination, to be fascinated by the Holy One, And this distraction causes that fascination, that longing for fascination to actually be placated by the entertainment of this age. I love the word placate. Placate means to make less angry or hostile, to pacify, to calm down or to appease. There is a holy longing inside of us to be fascinated. And it should look like hostility against the enemy. It should look like righteous zeal and anger against everything other than Jesus. And what the enemy does is he brings in entertainment. He brings in sports. He brings in movies. He brings in music. He brings in pornography. He brings in all the things, food. And we find a measure of satisfaction in those things that dulls the longing. And so what happens is we're not truly satisfied But the intensity of our longing is tamed just enough to keep us from passionately pursuing fascination by the only one who can satisfy us. You may have heard this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. As I was praying this morning in pre-service prayer, I had this phrase drop in my spirit. A lack of holiness in our lives is at its core... A lack of revelation and or belief that Jesus is superior. Maybe we haven't seen it yet. Maybe we haven't had the revelation that Jesus is superior. This is an invitation right now. Jesus is superior. I promise you. I've tasted and seen it in my own life. And the reason that I have felt so dull this year is because I've tried to find that same type of satisfaction and pleasure in things other than him. Again, not sinful things things that temporarily satisfy me just enough to dull the intensity of the true longing inside of me so that I actually don't realize that my longing is for him and can only be fascinated by him. And so what's happened is there's been a lack of this wholehearted consecration, a lack of this holiness, go back to that other slide, because I have not, I've, I've actually walked away from the belief and the full conviction that Jesus is superior. I want to say that and weep and mourn, and I don't right now, and I'm not okay with that. Jesus, we need greater revelation of who you are. Holy Spirit, you who know the depths of God, you who search them out and reveal them to us, come right now. Micah, come on up. Come right now, Holy Spirit. Reveal the beauty of Jesus. Reveal the joy and the superior pleasure of Jesus to our hearts, even now, God. Let there not be a lack of holiness. Let there not be a lack of wholehearted dedication and consecration to you. Wholehearted desire and longing for fascination that actually causes us to shift the way that we live our lives. Let it not be because we don't know you. Let it not be because in in understanding in our heads that you are superior, that we have not allowed that reality to seek deep into our hearts. God, I want to believe it again. I need to believe it again, God. Maybe some of you find yourself in a similar place to where I found myself in the last few months where the Lord is reminding you of some ancient paths in your life. The thing that I love about ancient paths and they're very practical things. We're not talking about a spiritual reality. Like picture that movie scene. Lucy found a literal way to cross a ravine. It was a literal pathway that got them from point A to point B. They needed to get somewhere. They didn't know how to get there. They were distracted by everything that they saw and experienced. But in following Jesus and his leadership, he reminded them of a pathway that once took them to where they needed to go. And he brought them back there. And so maybe there are practical things in your life where the Lord has been stirring this thing up. I believe he's been doing this a lot in the church lately. There's been a highlighting of a Laodicean spirit. Cynthia preached on it a few weeks ago. Where we believe that we're rich. We believe that we're satisfied. We believe that we have enough of God. But what Jesus says is there's so much more of me that you could have access to that you're missing out on. And you think you're satisfied, but you're wretched and you're poor and you're pitiable. And in his mercy, he says, come back to me. Find your satisfaction in me again. So many in the body of Christ right now are speaking on this reality, that there's a, a dullness and a numbness that has worn over our hearts. In Ezekiel, Jesus says that he's gonna take our hearts of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. God can take that hardness. God can take that numbness and he can replace it with tenderness again, if we let him. So if, if there if, if you found yourself just in the middle of your day or maybe having dreams at night where you just like remember something from your childhood or your you know your twenties or thirties or whatever earlier in your walk with the Lord, a really practical thing for me it's picturing myself in my bedroom in New Jersey with my guitar around my neck. Maybe you've had similar things like that. I would invite you to dialogue with the Holy Spirit and go, is this an ancient pathway that I'm meant to walk in? Do I actually need to orient my schedule to make time for that thing again? Because maybe that thing, doing that thing again, though it feels like the old thing, is actually the gateway into the new. And maybe you're like, I haven't thought of anything like that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. Ask him. Holy Spirit, even now we ask you, if there's any ancient paths within us, that you're inviting us to go explore with you. God, we want to say yes. We don't want to be like rebellious Israel and say we don't want to walk in them. We don't want to keep walking away in rebellion. We don't want to keep doing abominations and not even blushing. Maybe you're, you're still kind of a new believer and you're like, I don't know what an ancient path is. Guess what? You're forging them right now. The way that you live right now is forging those pathways. And I would encourage you, talk to other believers who you look at and you see fire and zeal in their lives. And ask them, what did you do? What worked for you? Look at the scripture. Look at men like David, men who fell over and over and over and over again. But on his deathbed, he said, I'm not giving up until God has a resting place. Till my dying breath, I am giving everything that I have to establishing a house for the Lord to dwell in holiness. That's, that's wholehearted consecration to the Lord. Look at scripture. Read stories, biographies of believers who have gone before. Find out what they did. How much did they fast? Fasting sucks, guys. I'm not gonna, I don't like, I don't want to make it seem like it's easy or glorious because in the moment it is hard. There's only been like one fast and I've done dozens of fasts through my life. Realistically, hundreds, actually, because one day fasts count. Um, I can only remember, like, maybe one or two where I actually felt like a supernatural grace, where I was like, this should be harder than it actually is right now, and it's not that hard. Most of the time, it's like, this sucks, I really want to eat, and sometimes I do eat. But I promise you that it's a, it's a confession, it's a slap in the face to the enemy that says, you can't satisfy me with anything that this world has to offer and I only want Jesus. And it reminds ourselves that we actually desire him more. So, so again, new believers, discover what the ancient paths are that you're forging right now and ask for grace to walk in them and know that grace doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. We get so lazy because we don't feel the grace for something. I'm speaking to myself right now. Grace doesn't make it easy. It means that when we're tempted to fail, we can ask for help and we'll get it. And sometimes we might fail, but we can step back up again because that's what a righteous man does. So as Micah plays, I just want to invite us, actually just staying in our seats, to take a few minutes and really engage this dialogue with the Lord. I know some of you already have been, which is awesome. Awesome. If you need to leave, we're over time. Please feel free to slip out. But I I believe that, you know, the way that the Lord convicts and rebukes us, his first choice is tenderness. The only time that the Lord really gets harsh, even in the Old Testament, in rebukes is when he gives a tender warning and there's rebellion against it. And he goes, If you're not going to listen, you need to hear it again. So I'm going to say it a little louder but his plan A is always tenderness. So I wanna leave a few minutes right now for us to just begin to dialogue with the Holy Spirit in your heart, if you need to whisper, that's that's fine. But just begin to ask him, Holy Spirit right now, tenderly speak to me. Are there areas of my life, areas of legitimate pleasure, legitimate satisfaction, non-sinful things that you would actually have me lay down for a season to run back to an ancient pathway to lead to greater levels of holiness and consecration.